So this evening, we're starting a, a new series on relationships, and maybe it's because um, two days from now, we will be reflecting on the 30-year anniversary of Nelson Mandela's release. So maybe it's good for us as South Africans to reflect on where our relationships with one another are at. But I suspect it's more because it's February. <laughs> and February is the month of Valentine's Day, the month of love, and some people add taxes to that. Um, yeah, so we will be talking about different kinds of relationships. It's going to be three weekends of, within this series. And this evening we'll be looking at different kinds of relationships here that we have amongst ourselves as fellow believers and followers of Jesus. Next week, um, Josh is going to minister to us about marriage relationships. And the week after that, we're going to be talking about dating so that's going to be quite interesting. But as I said this evening, we're going to be looking at the foundational relationships that we share with each other as believers. Now, psychologists speak about something called relational wisdom. Relational wisdom, as you can see up there on the board, is the ability to discern emotions interests and abilities in yourself and others to interpret this information in the light of your personal values and to use these insights to manage your responses and relationships constructively. Now this sounds very technical, but the Bible actually makes it quite simple to understand. And now for us as Christians... Relational wisdom basically means living out the two great commandments that we find in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, and elsewhere, Jesus actually mentions that because it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so as we read through the Bible and we read through Jesus' teachings, we see how Jesus reminds us over and over, love God and love others. And he does so in different ways and in different formats. And what Jesus is saying is that relationships are precious gifts that he entrusts to us. And these precious gifts that he entrusts to us are opportunities for us to show his love and multiply the number of people who will enjoy him forever. So God gives us people as gifts. So your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your parents are gifts that God has given you. Now when we think about, again, this relational wisdom, for us as believers in the context of the way Jesus describes it for us there, 
um, we see that the commandments that He gives to us are a hundred percent relationship. And it's really what the Christian life is about. How do we worship and serve and engage God, firstly? And secondly, how do we love each other? How do we love our brothers and sisters as we love ourselves? And the more we think about what Jesus is saying here and the fact that all of the law and the prophets hang on these commandments, we get the idea that life is about relationships. And Jesus uses a word there that is central to our faith. Now, most every Sunday when you come to church, we use this word. And this word is love. Now, the word love can be thought of as our operating system. Now, at the back there, we have a PC, and that PC makes it possible for us to read the words off of the screen. Now, that PC uses Windows as an operating system. Now, some of you use Apple. My phone uses an Android operating system. But every computer or device has a basic operating system that is the central point for all of the programs and the apps that run on that device, like word processing, photography apps, emailing, everything else has to interface with this operating system on that device. Now, our relational skills, our ability to interact with each other, are our basic operating system for our lives. And because it is, it's going to affect all of our relationships. It's going to affect your relationship with your friends. This operating system is going to affect your relationship with your parents. Parents is going to affect your relationship with your children. Even your Christian witness. Everything is affected by your relational skills. All of the programs that we run are affected by our own personal operating system. Now, what's interesting about this is that it's not new information. In fact, the Apostle Paul knew about relational wisdom about 2,000 years ago. And he told people about the importance of relationships and relational wisdom but in a different way. Now we read about Paul's teachings on relational wisdom in his letters to the churches in the, in the books at the back of your Bible. And we are going to consider an excerpt, just a snippet, from one such letter that is found in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now this portion of Scripture that we're going to look at is most often read at weddings. And immediately you know which one I'm referring to. However, when Paul wrote this, that was not the reason that he was writing it. 
He wasn't writing it to be read at a wedding. Um, Paul wrote this letter at this point to a network of churches in the city of Corinth. And they were house churches. Kind of like when we met on Wednesday evening in people's houses. And he knew the people in these churches because he helped to plant these churches in this bustling city of Corinth. And so he's writing this letter because he heard reports that things were not going well in the church community at Corinth. And he was concerned as people were divided within that little church community. And instead of reflecting Christ-like behavior, they were betraying the teachings of Jesus based on how they were treating each other. And so within this church community, there were a bunch of Christians who were actually suing each other. We read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And so there were broken relationships amongst people because they were suing one another. And then there was a guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law in this church community. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. And their Sunday morning gatherings were messed up as well. Even though they took communion as well, their Sunday morning gatherings were messed up. And, it, and the way they took communion was really inappropriate because it wasn't honoring to Jesus. In fact, we read about it in, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians that some of the believers were getting drunk. And there were other believers who were eating up everything before the others could also enjoy this meal. And then specifically, in the section we are going to read, Paul refers to how there were a number of people who were having really profound experiences of worship in their Sunday gathering. And so some of them had adopted and taken on a prayer practice that Paul himself practiced of praying and speaking in tongues in an unknown language. But the way that they were doing it was not the way that Paul did it. They were just bursting out in the gathering, shouting out, and just speaking something that nobody else could understand. And then there were those who felt that they had a word of knowledge or a prophecy to share with this church community. And they felt that the church community needed to hear this prophetic word. But when they got up to speak this prophetic word, they would arrogantly be interrupted by somebody else who jumped up and wanted to speak over them while they were speaking. And so it was into this community that Paul wrote these words. And so let's read it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll read the first 13 verses. And this is what Paul writes to them. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men 
or of angels, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But there are prophecies and they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I can actually stop preaching right there because those words are amazing and awesome enough to change anybody's heart. Does anybody recognize that picture? Especially the one that's in the little square there. Somebody recognize it. You. He does. Okay, that is a picture of a black hole. Now, this picture was taken two, two and a bit, two and a half years ago in April of 2017. And it was taken by a scientist with this massive, amazing telescope called the Event Horizon Telescope. And that little in the square there, it shows a halo of dust and gas. And it actually traces the outline of a huge, a colossal black hole. And this is... is um, an enlarged picture of what is on your right there. A ga this galaxy is called the Messier 87 galaxy. And it is 55 million light years from Earth. One light year is 9.5 trillion kilometers. So that's a ways to go. Now, it is believed that a black hole doesn't have a surface like Earth like a planet or like a star. 
A black hole is a place out in space where gravity pulls so strong, it sucks so powerfully that it is even able to suck in light. The gravity, the suction power is so strong because matter has been squeezed into a very tiny little space. And so it has generated this enormously powerful gravitational pull. Now objects that fall into or get sucked into black holes are literally stretched to a breaking point and the suction power is so strong that anything that gets sucked into a black hole disintegrates into nothingness. So it unmakes everything that it sucks in. So black holes suck like nothing you have ever seen. A black hole is all about the singularity at the center. And it sucks everything into itself. And it destroys everything that it sucks in. Now, there's something that I thought of that is completely opposite to a black hole. It's a cell. A cell is a very simple yet complex little thing. But its purpose and design is all about giving all of its energy to make another one of itself. And what's interesting about the cell is that it does not become less when it gives of itself to multiply. But it rather becomes more of itself as it gives of itself away. And so life is generated as it does this. It pushes out from itself. An example of this is actually shaking our world right now with this coronavirus that is spreading all over because this very intelligent little cell is able to give of itself so that it can multiply and survive. Now the scripture that we read a minute ago, here in Corinthians, is addressing two ways of relating to each other. And I want to use those two images as a metaphor, a cell and a black hole. So you and me, we can either be self-centered concerned only with ourselves, self-serving, and in doing so, draw others into your black hole of character flaws while you are searching for meaning, for love and affirmation. And then not only does someone like that find themselves in this black hole, 
but they draw others into that mess also. And they end up sucking the very life out of the body that they were called to care for. Now, none of us are perfect, and we all have our moments, but there's a sense in which we are all relational black holes. But Jesus' way is different. His way is a lot like this cell. Jesus' way is driven by this perpetual desire to give life to others, to give of oneself, and in doing so, multiplying and becoming the kingdom that we are praying for. And Paul gives a teaching here in Corinthians of what the love, the agape, as it is called in Greek, in relationships ought to be like. That would put on display, that would model for the world the love that Jesus has for us. And this love that we should model is perpetually outwardly focused. Now, we won't have the time to look at all of the facets that we read through this evening, and maybe we'll only focus on one or two. But over the next few weeks, we will be looking at many of these character traits or these images that Paul speaks to us about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll look at it in different settings so now we'll look at maybe just one or two. So let's start at verse 4. Paul writes there and he says, Love is patient and kind. Now we are living in a world and we are living at a time where things are becoming more and more instant and immediate. And patience is becoming harder and harder to find and harder and harder to be. So we are becoming more and more conditioned to expect instant gratification. But the kind of love that is being written about here, Jesus' love is a love that gives time. Paul writes there, love is patient and kind. Because that's what patience is. Patience is giving time. It's like a cell that gives of its time. And the believers that Paul was addressing here in Corinth were not willing to give each other time. They were inadvertently saying to each other, I don't have time for you. Now, when we turn that around, though, we see that impatience is this inability to give people the time that they need or the time that they want. Impatience, then again, reminds us of a black hole that is singular and self-serving and makes everything around it 
revolve around its own desires and it sucks the time and the energy of others only for itself. And then as we continue to read, Paul couples this patience with kindness. And kindness refers to being of service to others. We could think of it as the atmosphere around us. And so when you enter a room, when you stepped into this building this evening, or somebody entered into your personal space, what feeling do they sense? What feeling do you get from them? Do you feel welcome? Or does that person sense from you hospitality? Do they sense that they are cared for or being paid attention to? The kindness in this love that Paul is writing about is about this attention to how the other person who enters into my space feels about being there. And then from here, Paul goes into eight statements about love and what love is not. Because sometimes something is so beautiful and profound that you can only talk about what it is by defining what it is not. And that's what Paul does here. He says, love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Now we've run out of time, but as we conclude... And maybe as Andrea and the worship team come up, I want to ask you, what is the condition of your operating system tonight? Is it more like a black hole? Or is it more like a cell? Jesus calls us to a higher, more excellent way of being. And he does this because we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light.